when uh, William Sloan Coffin was chaplain at Yale, he was part of a monthly faculty discussion group. You know, and the, the group was made up of uh, professors from the medical school, the law school, the graduate school, you know, chemistry and, and, uh, and the school of management and so on. And, and uh, whoever was hosting it had to pick the topic for discussion. So one, one month, Coffin was in charge of picking the topic, and he thought, oh, what the heck, I'm a minister. Uh, why don't I pick on, pick on something religious? And he, so he, he said to the group, isn't the idea of the existence of God a stimulating idea? To which one of the people in the group responded, you know, it's not only not stimulating, it's not even an idea. To which Coffin responded, you know, I can see yourself running down the quality of the bread, but I think you're just fooling yourself if you're not hungry for something that's ethically demanding, something that's larger than you are, something that's mysterious and awesome. You know, and I think that's why you're so damn boring. <laughs> he didn't, he said that more colorfully, but I, I think there are probably some kids that didn't, okay. That quotation, you know, kind of sums up, what are we talking about when we talk about God? Are we talking about something that's really stimulating? Or are we talking about something that's not even an idea? When we talk about God, are we talking about that Deuteronomy passage, which is kind of a scorched earth passage? <laughs> God will curse you in your breadbasket and in your doorway, and God will cast consumption and mildew upon you? I mean, this is a hard God. Or are we talking about a God like Isaiah? Comfort. Comfort my people. Speak tenderly to them. And you even get a, you get a maternal image at the end of God, you know, holding children to the bosom and, and comforting the children. What are we talking about when we talk about God? One writer has said there, there are four ways we can look at God. One is a dictatorial God, an authoritarian God, where there's a high level of anger in God and a high level of engagement. You know, and that's the God that we, that we heard in the Deuteronomy passage, a high degree of anger and a high degree of engagement, you know, God's going to get you for this. Then there's a, a critical God who has a high degree of anger, who knows all the faults we're, we're committing, but there's a low engagement. In a sense, God isn't going to do anything about it. In a sense, God is like that, the absentee landlord who lays down all the rules for rental, but doesn't act on it. That's kind of the God of the, of the parable of the, 
of the talents, the, the God who gives the servants talents, but goes away on a long journey, and you wonder if God's coming back. Then there's the God who's a distant God, low level of anger and a low level of engagement. This God is, is kind of the deist God. God created, God set the clock running, and then God just removed from, from, the, from the scene. You know, God's not involved at all. And then finally, there's the benevolent God, the God who has a low level of anger and is highly engaged. You know, this is the God of Isaiah. Comfort my people. Redeem them. They've paid. Now restore them. Often our view of God says a lot about who we are. This is not going to be a sermon about proving God's existence. I, I don't find any of the proofs of God to be very satisfying and, and very airtight. And I'm not sure we want to talk about the proof of God's existence. We're more concerned about our experience of God's existence. How do we experience God in our lives or not? So this isn't going to be a linear sermon. Don't expect me to go from A to B to C. It's going to be kind of rambling. The Bible in Genesis says, we are made in the image of God. And often we use our images to define who God is. You know, we say our Father who art in heaven. What do we mean by that image of Father? When we talk about God as Father, what do we mean? One person told me this week that when, her, when she was born, her father did not want her. And so her father never treated her well and treated her very vindictively. So when she hears about God as father, she has a tremendous amount to work through. And actually, God as father is a roadblock to her relationship to God. Another person talked about God, her understanding of father in light of her grandfather and her father, both of whom were blue-collar workers. Her, her grandfather was a miner and then was a factory worker. And his hands were very strong and very gnarled father was a carpenter, and his hands were very strong, very gnarled, and pretty scarred. And she said, so when I think of God as father, I think of hands, and I think of hands that are strong and supportive, and that hands that can lift a heavy weight and can carry me and hands that are scarred and have endured a lot in providing for me. Another person said that when he was the son of his father, 
He saw God the Father as a rule giver, a disciplinarian, a provider, a person who set boundaries. And he said, now that I'm the father of a son, I see God, he said, I, I, I see God as forgiving. I see God as loving and merciful and providing. He said, I can't imagine God who's cruel and vindictive because I would never be that way with my children. We understand God through the images we have. You know, and the prophets and the figures in the Old Testament, you know, Abraham not uh, understood God kind of as a person who commands, but also as a person with whom Abraham could negotiate. You know, will you destroy Sodom for the sake of 50? Will you destroy Sodom for the sake of 45? Will you destroy Sodom for the sake of one? You know, Abraham sees God as somebody he walks with and negotiates with. Jer Jeremiah sees God as the potter. You're the potter, I am the clay. The psalmist sees God as a variety of images. Um, you know, God is the shepherd. God is absent. God is the rock. Elijah doesn't experience God as, as you know, thunder or lightning or wind, but as a still, small voice. You know, what did you write down on the card as your image of God, all loving, all powerful, creative, savior, spirit, invincible, all wisdom. One of um, my favorite exchanges in identifying God is the one between Moses and the voice in the burning bush, you know, the voice speaks to Moses from the burning bush, and, and Moses says, well, what, are your, what is your name, and who are you? And the voice responds, I am. You know, Moses is supposed to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, and say to Pharaoh, free my slaves. And Pharaoh's going to say, who says? And Moses is supposed to respond, I don't know. I mean, that's really going to carry a lot of weight with Pharaoh. But God is saying, you know, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. We're not quite sure what that verb form is, but it's quite clear that God is saying, you can't control me. You can't box me in. I'm going to be free to be who I want to be. And I like that understanding of God who's beyond our understanding, that we fully don't know God and we fully can't control, control God. And anybody who thinks they can control God and understand God fully is just fooling themselves. You know, what we know of God is kind of like a jigsaw puzzle. We have one piece. We don't have all the pieces. 
what we know of God is small and what God knows of us is large. So any discussion of God, we have to approach humbly and with good humor. Last week I said that we would be playing with some spiritual and religious words for the next several sermons. And God is the first word we're going to play with. And if there's any word that we should be playing with, it's God. You know, what do you think of when you think of God? Well, let's play with that. And, you know, play is about freedom and about stretching ourselves and a learning about more in a non-threatening environment. You know, let's play with that idea. You know, what would we do if we owned the property next door to the church? Let's play with that for a little bit. You know, would we level it for a parking lot? Would we build a parking garage on it? Would we convert it to office space? Would we convert it to a gym? Would we convert it to a pool? Would it be a community center? What would it be? Let's play with that. There really aren't any wrong answers. There really aren't any right answers. But, you know, we might get a fuller idea of what's going on if we all play with it. So let's play with the names of God. Aching old God. Warm Father. Creative Mother. Young and growing God. True light. True life sustainer. Let's play with the names of God and stretch ourselves and imagine, you know, God is more. One person who really played with the names of God was Jesus. Yeah. Jesus, you know, has an image of God as a widow, has an image of God as a absentee landlord, has an image of God as a very generous employer. He has lots of different images of God as an unjust judge. How, do, how does Jesus see God in all the different ways, in all the different names? Now, speaking of Jesus, it's been said that for, pro, for, for Christians... God is defined by Jesus, but not confined to Jesus. So, when we see Jesus feeding the hungry, we see God. When we see Jesus including the outsider, we see God. When we see Jesus forgiving someone, we see God. But God isn't confined just to Jesus or just to Christianity. We can see God in Judaism, certainly. We can see God in Islam and Buddhism. We can see God in many places because God isn't just confined to our small piece of the pie. One of the things about understanding God is thinking about where is God? 
You know, if God's up in heaven, we're probably not going to experience God much on earth. This is the important thing about talking about God. The belief is the more we talk about something, the more we experience it and become like that. So if we talk about God, say, as a giving God, we're more likely to be giving. If we talk about God as a forgiving God, we're more likely to be forgiving. If we're just thinking about God and talking about God, we're more likely to experience God. If I'm thinking about God, I might experience God in the person I run into on the street. If I'm thinking about God while I'm eating supper with my family, I might be more likely to experience God around the supper table. If I'm thinking about God when I encounter somebody who just rubs me the wrong way, maybe I'll see God in them. My understanding of God has not been stagnant. It's evolved and grown and changed over the years. I think if it doesn't, my relationship with God is probably dead. You know, I began by seeing God as, as a disciplinarian, probably as a police officer who was just waiting to catch me making a mistake. Then I moved to God as boring when I was in junior high and high school. By then, I had also seen God as irrelevant. Then I experienced God as absent and non-existent. Then I began to see God as one who calls, one who is demanding in that call. Then I came to understand God as, as loving. And an image of God that has worked for me for years is Henry Nouwen's image of God as the sea, S-E-A. And I noticed that one of you on your prayer card said you, uh, the image of God you had was of an ocean. So I want to close by reading what Henry Nouwen writes about him, uh, his image of God as the sea. It is true that there is an ebb and flow, but the sea remains the sea. Lord, you are the sea. Although I experience many ups and downs in my emotions and often feel great shifts and changes in my inner life, you remain the same. Your sameness is not the sameness of a rock, but the sameness of a faithful lover. Out of your love I came to life, by your love I am sustained, and to your love I am always called back. There are days of sadness and days of joy. There are feelings of guilt and feelings of gratitude. There are moments of failure and moments of success. But all of them are embraced by your unwavering love. 
My only real temptation is to doubt in your love, to think of myself as beyond the reach of your love, to remove myself from the radiance of your love. To do these things is to move into the darkness of despair. O Lord, sea of love and goodness, let me not fear too much the storms and winds of my daily life. And let me know that there is an ebb and flow, but that the sea remains the sea. Amen.